I am conscious this morning that we are again gathered together as the body of Christ, as the people of God here in, in Kettle Falls, and as we gather this thing that we do, this message that we celebrate week after week, the message of the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, of his person, and of his work. It is without apology that I say it is the most powerful message on the face of the earth. Yeah, pastor, you're just a little country pastor in Kettle Falls, in a little place that the majority of the world doesn't even know exists. God knows it exists, and he knows every person in this community. He knows every person in the Colville Valley. He knows everyone in this county, and he has placed us here to be light and to be salt and to be the people of God and not to be reactionary. The world may do what it does, and my, what it's been doing lately. But you know, that has in many ways no effect upon us. And that's because we've been given our mandate. We have a commander-in-chief, a king and a savior and a friend who is now exalted as we just sang. He is worthy and from the right hand of the throne of God, he reigns over heaven and earth. And he is calling out a people and he continues to do so. I was fascinated this past week when I heard because if I were to ask you, what is the number one state sponsor of terrorism? Everyone who watches the news would say, well, everybody knows that, Iran. And yet, those missionaries and those people who study and watch carefully what God is doing in the world, you and me have brothers and sisters by the thousands inside Iran. Why? Well, because the darkness can't expel the light. And the light of the gospel has come to those people. And they don't necessarily agree with the regime that's over them, just like some of us aren't all that happy about the regime that's over us. And yet, we are the sons and daughters of God. Jesus said, listen to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would fight. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, don't you understand that I have authority to set you free or to take your life? And Jesus said to him, you have no authority over me unless it's granted you from heaven. And then he said, no one takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. We serve a living Christ. Amen? He is alive, and he's still at work in this world, no matter how dark it may seem and how twisted it may be. I wrote these six words down. I said, here are six words to myself now, but I'll let it out to you. That in the last year, more than any time in my lifetime, Six words that describe our present culture. Bibli or excuse me, first two, political agitation. Social disintegration. 
and moral degradation. Those six words pretty much describe what's happening to our culture. And those six words, by the way, would be an apt description of the first century, of the very century from which this account came that was read for us this morning by um, Patty and Lauren and by Lance. This scene. Because the Roman Empire had already begun to decay. There was political agitation, social disintegration, and um, moral degradation. Already well on its way. It wasn't too long beyond that that the Roman Empire fizzled out and collapsed. Now, here we are, 2,000 years later, and we might ask ourselves, well, what is the, what's the real question? What's the question before us as the church in the world? What is it? It's a straightforward question. What is the church in our day to do? What is the church in our day to be? Not what do we want to do or feel like doing or what will make us comfortable or what path will be the path of least resistance. No, no, no. What has God called his people to be? And we are not called to be reactionary. We are called to be proactive because we have instructions from the high king of heaven on how we're to think and live and believe and conduct ourselves in this fallen world. In fact, in your bulletin, if you'll glance at it, if you got one this morning, I'd like to draw your attention there to the left-hand column again, because I want you to know that these words were not just pulled out of a hat. Welcome to Kettle Falls Community Church. We are a non-denominational Bible church. We serve Christ with village missions. Village Missions is a home mission organization that provides pastors and their families to little places that sometimes can't afford a pastor. Most of the interns that were here serving with us, the seven or eight who've gone away, they ended up serving in places that couldn't even afford their salary. And so we give to Village Missions, other churches within the mission give to them, and our funds are filtered out so that those pastors can put bread on the table and pay their bills, and they can go to a place in hope that that little flickering candle of 20 people who gather will one day begin to build into a bonfire, and instead of 15 or 20, they'll have 40 or 60 or 100 people and will become a brighter shining light in that community as the Lord draws those he chooses to save in that culture, in that community. And so we are among 220 local churches in small towns and rural locations just like ours all across the United States and a bunch of them up in Canada. But here's what I wanted you to think about. Several core values describe our ongoing commitment. First, to honor and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, to teach and preach the written word of God. Thirdly, to care for and support one another through prayer, fellowship, 
and whatever needs we can meet and to reach as many as possible through personal witness and testimony of the power of God's saving grace in our lives. Now you see, those core values, they don't change. No matter, no matter what the culture does around us, those are not going to change. And so we have solid footing. We have moorings. We have an anchor. And by the way, this is just beside the point, but I want to welcome back Lacey. Uh, so nice to see you back. Sorry I'm inserting that in the middle of the message, but it's just great to see you. Uh, Lacey and her husband Jeff were with us for many years, part of the Lehman family and uh, Duggar family. And Anyway, we're just glad to see you. And she had to come back because this is one of the best churches. Uh, you know, I mean, you got to come back from time to time, right? No, I've heard they've, they, they've come to a really good fellowship there this in is where she Wenatchee. Is that right? Did you come to Christ here? Come to faith here? Yeah. And it is the most powerful message, isn't it, Lacey? There's nothing more powerful than the gospel because it can do what mankind and all of our technology, all of our inventions, all of our medical skills, there's nothing we can come up with that can do for the soul what the gospel does. It transforms us. It changes us. It brings us into a living relationship with Christ. And see, these apostles knew that. And uh, when, imagine how Peter was feeling. When, he, when they actually had the audacity to say to these apostles, to Peter and John, they bring them before the council and they say to them, well, setting aside the, the miracle that took place, that one with, uh, who was lame from birth and for 40 years has been healed and everybody knows, setting that aside, we don't want you spreading this news. We don't want you talking about Jesus Christ anymore. You can't, it, it's outlawed. And it's just kind of fascinating. It's almost like to, how I feel these days and how you must feel. You realize, don't you, that we have now seen a wave that is happening in our culture. It's being spread through social media. Call it whatever you want, the woke movement, um, all of these different titles for it, r critical race theory, all these different things. But let me tell you this. There is one bottom line to all of that that has uh, significance to you as a witness of Christ. And that is this. The time is rapidly coming when to even use the term and to speak to someone in terms of faith, and repentance will be considered hate speech. You can't tell anyone in this modern movement that they need to repent because you're saying that you don't agree with their lifestyle. You don't agree with, agree with their morals. You don't agree with how they're living. You can't say that, see? And that's exactly what's happening here. You can no longer preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And so these apostles, they responded, I thought, very well. They responded, Peter says, to them. They summoned them, verse 18, and they 
in chapter 4 of Acts, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Just put yourself in Peter's shoes. Peter has just spent three, three and a half years following Christ, handpicked by Christ. He has seen all the events of Christ's life. He has watched his mighty miracles, jaw-dropping, mind-blowing miracles, and not only raising the dead, but actually power over nature itself, authority over the wind and waves and the roaring sea, Christ over the demons of the, of the unseen world of darkness. All of this might and power was on display through Christ, and Peter has seen it all. In addition, all of his teaching and everything that he taught, Peter was right there hanging on every word. He learned and saw all of that. Now, you're Peter, and just weeks before, in a moment of vulnerability and moment of weakness, you stood warming yourself by the fire in the courtyard as Jesus was being tried in a series of six mock trials. Abused, mocked, slandered, beaten, falsely accused, everything that he was going through. And what was Peter doing while that was happening? He was denying that he even knew him. And then that morning came, of course, after the three denials, that the cock crowed and Peter went off and wept bitterly from his failure. But just a few days later, after the resurrection from the dead, and 40 days then with Jesus, 40 days after the resurrection, he continued to teach Peter and John and the rest post-resurrection. And then he said, don't go out yet. I'm leaving you, but I'm leaving you with a command to take this message to the world that I'm alive and everything that I've accomplished and done. And now I want you to just wait in Jerusalem because you're yet to be clothed with power from on high. And the Holy Spirit will come, and he will empower you, and then you'll be my witnesses. And so, just ten days after his ascension to glory, the Holy Spirit came with a fullness and a fire and a light and a warmth and a joy and a peace beyond anything they'd ever known. They, were, they had more life inside them that they even knew what to do with. And now, alive in Christ, he has fulfilled his promise and sent the Holy Spirit. And now these guys are going to tell Peter, you can't talk about him anymore. <laughs> right. Well, we're very much in the same place. Our culture is rapidly moving to the point that it will say, in fact, just this past week, I read of a pastor in Scotland who simply met with somebody that was struggling. They were struggling with gender identity. And they came to the pastor and asked him, what, you know, I'm struggling with this, what do I do? 
And uh, the pastor was unaware of the fact that there had been some a law passed, and, and so he didn't even advise him. He didn't counsel him. He just let him, let, he asked questions and let the man speak and share his problems and his, his turmoil that he was in and all this. And then he said, well, I'd be happy to meet with you again and be of any support I can. It was a very soft sell. He said, but would it be okay if I prayed with you? And he said, sure. And so the pastor prayed for him that God would help him in this dilemma, help him see and understand what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. And he simply prayed for him. And it wasn't but days later that the authorities came. They came to that pastor. And he was in trouble with the law simply because he prayed for the man. That's all he did. He prayed for him. You see, but the very fact that he prayed for him implies that there was something wrong with the man. And we can pray for everything else, but just not those kinds of issues, because those are the hot-button issues in culture right now. Well, what did they do? Well, the story takes up in verse 23, and there's really no outline today. I'm just sharing my heart and the word. But the story takes up after they commanded them, you can no longer speak in this way. Peter said, you judge whether it's right to obey you instead of God but we cannot stop sharing this good news because it's the most powerful message in the world. It changes a person from the inside out. And so in verse 23, this is how they responded. And when they had been released, Peter and John, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. The command, no more can you speak this message. Watch what happens in verse 24. And when they, their companions, the fellowship, the church, when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God in one accord and said, O Lord, it is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them. The first thing they do is immediately think of the grandeur and greatness and power and wonder of who this God is that they're opposing. And then we find there in verse 25, who not only created everything, but who also speaks truth in this world, and so who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, thy servant, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? He's quoting from Psalm 2. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. And I suppose this morning, more than anything else, 
Verse 29 is the most timely prayer that I know of at this present hour in the life of the church. We mustn't be backed into our convictions. We mustn't be pushed into a corner. We are the people of God with the mightiest, most transformative message in all the world. It changes people forever. And so verse 29, what a prayer. Imagine this, this band of believers with Peter and John in their midst. It says, they prayed this, and now, Lord, take note of their threats. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help laughing. As though God had, did not, as though he wasn't aware. Lord, they're threatening us. They're saying we can't talk about our Savior anymore. We can't tell people they need to trust him and repent of their sins and turn to him and he will transform them. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. I think the NIV, if I'm not mistaken, says with great boldness. While thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. Did God like this prayer? Imagine what you might have said. What if I had come this morning and stood before you and shocked you all with the news that thankfully some of the elders came to the jail this morning and they had raised the funds to post bail for me. And uh, I was released early this morning at dawn because I had been taken in handcuffs because I was sharing the gospel with someone who reported me. And this news was shared with you. How would we respond as a church? Well, how does God respond to their prayer? Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. How's that for an answer to prayer? Right on the spot. Which means that prayer, Lord, grant us bold, take note of their threats and grant us boldness to do what Christ commanded the church to do and be. And the, the request was granted almost immediately. So we know they were praying right in the center of God's purposes, weren't they? And it honored him. You know, I guess it's been close to 20 years now, 18 years. A dear brother, Rod, Rod Schneider. He and Janice and their kids came to church. They had been attending another church. In fact, they'd even been involved in that church. 
taught Sunday school in that church, Bible stories for kids. And I know Rod would want me to share this with you. They came and they were here on the very first Sunday they ever attended here. They had left that church, hadn't attended for about a year, and decided, let's go to church. Let's try the community church. And on that morning, I remember, I was just, I had no idea. They were guests. I was preaching the word, and and basically it was a message uh, that had to do with Jesus healing the man along the roadside. And he came to the man when everybody was trying to put him off. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they were, the apostles were telling him to be quiet. And finally Jesus said, bring the man to me. And they brought the lame man to him. And Jesus asked him one question. What do you want me to do for you? That's all he asked him. Then, of course, the man wanted to be healed. And the Lord healed him. And he went his way. But you know what? The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than, a two, than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's nothing, there's not a surgeon's scalpel anywhere in this world as sharp as the word of God. And I preached that message not even knowing what God was doing. And I, Rod went home that day, and he later called me that afternoon and said, you know, I went away with that question and I couldn't shake it. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, he just kept asking me that. I couldn't get away from him. And I went home to get away from him, and that didn't work. And I went to my bedroom, and that didn't work. And finally, I just got on my knees, and I answered his question. I want you to save me. I want you to restore me. I want you to change my heart and make me new, like the preacher was talking about. And you know, he called me to tell me, he did it. <laughs> he did it. I'm changed. I don't know how. I can't understand this, but I know I'm different. I'm changed. And as Kathy and I sat a couple nights ago, a couple days ago, with Rod and Janice, we had a sweet time of fellowship together at his bedside. And we reminisced, you know, on fun things, our kids growing up. And he and I teamed up and coached Little League together. And uh, his son was a catcher, mine was a pitcher. And, vice versa at times, and we just had all these memories, but the thing that we kept coming back to over and over was the power of the gospel and the life change that comes with knowing Christ. And it was just a precious time. And, and here's the thing. I, I want to close with this. And like I said, I understand. I'm just musing and sharing. There's no... I said, I said to Rod, you know, Rod, I told him a story about the young man. The young man who needed to be mentored. He had gotten out of school and he went into ministry and he was preaching and teaching and shepherding, but he felt so inadequate and he felt like he needed somebody to mentor him and help him.
And so he went back to one of his old professors who had, stopped, who had retired from the seminary and was no longer teaching, and he looked him up and found him, and he said, Professor, would you be willing to mentor me? I, I need help. And he said, you know, I'm really, I'm not doing that anymore. And, but he kept at him, and finally he overcame in his resistance, and he agreed. And so they spent about a year, a year and a half together. But the old, the old pastor, the old professor had Parkinson's real bad, and it was coming on stronger and stronger. And he said to him one day, he said, you know, it won't be long before I'm in a bed. And right now I have this cane to lean on, and, and I don't like this cane. I don't like this cane at all. He said, but I, I, since I've done this for you, there's something I want you to do for me. I want you to conduct my funeral service. And on that day that you conduct my service, I want you to take, and he held the cane up, wooden cane, he said, I want you to take a saw and, and saw about halfway through it once I'm gone, home to be with the Lord. And I want you to put that cane and hide it behind the pulpit. And at the end of the message, when you share with the people, there's a passage of scripture I want you to read. And this is what he did. He said, I want you to read this. And I read this to Rod the other day as we sat together with Kathy and Janice. Listen to this promise. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand. By now, the old man was not able to stand. And the other day, Rod was not able to stand. But God is able to make you stand, and not just stand anywhere, but to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now, and forever. Amen. That's from the end of the book of Jude. And then I told Rod, and so what he did, Rod, was he, the young man pulled out the cane after he read that passage, and he said, I, Professor so-and-so wanted you to know that he's standing. In glory. And then he took that cane and he snapped it across his knees and he threw both halves to the side because he will never need that cane again. And we sat there with Rod and we looked at that bed and all of the trappings that go with ailment and uh, all of that represented the cane. It was such a sweet time together. I'll always appreciate it. He was a good brother. And he still is. He's even better now.
But if you didn't know that Rod had gone home, I wanted you to know that. And we're never going to stop preaching this message. Because, it, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The culture will do what it's going to do. The culture will continue perhaps to go from bad to worse. We're not sure. Maybe things will turn around and things will brighten up again. We don't know. But globally, these movements are as wide in scope as I've ever seen. And part of it is the ability of instant communication, mass communication through social media. And these movements are just coming and coming like a wave. And there may come a time where it's actually illegal to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope not in our lifetime. I hope not never. But even if it does, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? We're going to have to say to this culture, you judge whether it be right to obey you rather than God. For we cannot stop speaking of the things that we have seen and heard. Isn't that right? Holy boldness and confidence. This is not an hour to be intimidated. This is not an hour for us to cower or hide or be reactionary. We don't need to do any of that. We already have a mandate to continue to uphold the grace of God and the gospel of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, can we stand together? And uh, let's just sing a song. Sing a song together as we close, because I'm thinking, you know, even now it's true of us, because we're still here. But as we sing this song, listen to me now, as we sing this little chorus through a couple times, think to yourself, with how much more weight and meaning does this chorus have for those who now have been made to stand? Think about them and what this, just ask yourself, I wonder if those who've gone before us I wonder if they agree with the words of this song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.